Hello, everybody. So glad to be back. I think this is number four for me being here. Um, this is number two for Amy, my wife, to be able to join us. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I'm being honest whenever I say this has honestly been the uh, best part of my semester. Uh, this is the last semester of school for me. And it's, uh, as some of you kind of know what that's like, right? Um, and so to, to get to come here and to get just slowly introduced to you guys and to teach from the Word of God and uh, to get to meet some of you and just to hear you even worship is a privilege and a joy. Um, as I kind of pointed to my wife, <clears throat> um, some of you guys, well, a lot of you guys don't really have a chance to get to know her yet, but if, if we were to have a conversation personally, like if you walked up to me and you said, hey, tell me about Amy, tell me what she like, it would be a terrible idea for me to spend the whole conversation saying everything she's not or everything she doesn't like, right? So I could tell you Amy doesn't like punk rock, okay? I could tell you Die Hard is not Amy's favorite movie. I could tell you that Amy does not have one color of eyes. I could tell you on and on. We could, we could talk for hours, and at the end of it, you'd have a pretty clear idea of what Amy is not. But if I were to say, okay, so tell me about Amy, you'd be like, I don't know. You haven't told me much. You wouldn't know anything really deep and significant about her because I had just told you what she's not. In the same way, I think a lot of us have grown up with the concept of Christianity or the Christian life where we have purely defined it in terms of what not to do and who Christians are not, right? And so each one of us can think of like a top five. Don't get drunk, don't do drugs, don't have premarital sex, don't hang out with the wrong people, don't listen to the wrong music. Like we can make our lists. We might have grown up hearing this a lot. We might have kind of just formed that based on the people that we saw who were Christians. And we have a clear idea of what Christianity is not. But that is a weak and anemic understanding of Christian faith. And that is an insufficient understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. And the good grace of God is that he's been very clear on who you are in Christ and what you are to do and what Christian life actually is about. So in Romans chapter 13, we're going to actually see the heart of Christian faith. And the heart of Christian faith is that we are called to love everyone around us that this is the nut, the core, the kernel of what it means to be a Christian, is to live a life of love. And we're also gonna see what motivates that life of love. So two ideas in Romans chapter 13, verses eight through 14. We're gonna see that to love is to fulfill the will of God. This is the will of God for every Christian. This is what it means to walk as a Christian. And then two, what motivates a life of love? How do we continue and sustain that pathway? Okay, so go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We're going to go ahead and jump in, and we're going to look at it in two chunks, okay? We're going to look at it verses 8 through 10 first, and the main idea here is that love fulfills the Mosaic law because it actively does good to others. Love fulfills the Mosaic law because it actively does good to others. So let's read it together, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another, that is, another who is different, has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment, they're all summed up in this word, this commandment, this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, whenever Paul talks about the law, typically what he's talking about is the Mosaic law. Let me grab my Bible again. The Mosaic law refers to the first five books of the Bible, if you're unfamiliar. It's right about that chunk right there, okay? And this is the story of God calling his people Israel out of Egypt and saying, you've been enslaved, I've made promises to your forefathers, and I'm now calling you out as mine. I'm your God, you are my people, I love you, and I'm gonna paint a pathway for you to walk in life. Your hearts are bent and they're corrupt, and you are prone to do things that are destructive, and so I'm going to give you a law that's gonna lead you in a pathway of life, that's gonna lead you how to relate to me and how to relate to each other, okay? So if we were to look through that chunk of the Bible, those five books, and we were to count up all the commands, we would come to something like 613, okay? Some of those are ceremonial, some of those are ritual, but a lot of those are moral, okay? And if we were to try to say, let's take all the moral commands, and let's just say, what are the two basic functions of these moral commands? First off, I think we could just simply say, one function of moral commands is to limit destructive behavior, okay? These, these commands take the form of thou shalt not, okay? So take a look again with me. These are, Paul cites a lot of these. He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and we could go on and on. Thou shalt not. What God is doing is saying, here's the boundaries, okay? And outside the boundaries is destruction in my judgment, and it leads to death. These are commandments that limit destructive behavior, okay? But there's a second function for these moral commands, and that's that they instruct constructive behavior. So God doesn't just say, don't do these things. He also says, but do these things. Walk in this way, okay? Paul cites a command that is the heart, the kernel of the constructive commands. Look with me in verse nine, the end of it. He says, all of these other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is a key thing to understand here. We talk about love, we love hot dogs, we love uh, that new song on the radio, we love that dog that we see. We love everything and we sort of water down that word but to, just to put it simply, love is an affection, a true affection in the heart where you genuinely like somebody, you want to be around them, you want to be there, there for their good. So that's affection. And then that affection is actually expressed in doing good to that person. It's beneficial to them. So love is an affection that's expressed in doing good to others. Okay? So whenever we think about that definition of love, we can see Love does fulfill the law. It not only avoids doing harm to others, it actually actively pursues doing good to others. So those two functions that we talked about, limiting destructive behavior and actually pointing out a constructive path to walk in, love fulfills these two functions. Take a look at verse 10 with me. This is why Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. It's not destructive. Therefore, 
love is the fulfilling of the law. It actually does good to others. And this is the will of God for his people. The will of God for his people is that they would do good to, the, to their neighbors, those right around them in their community, and that they would do good to those who are outside the community. And I want to show you that. So back up in verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. When he says each other, he's talking about your brothers and sisters in the community of faith. And then he says, for the one who loves another, and this is another of a different kind, this is those who are outside the community of faith, he has fulfilled the law. And so there's no limitation to love. Love is between Christians and love is towards those who are outside the faith. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So I want to step back and say, what does this mean for us? Let's just stop right here and think, so how did we take this big general idea and apply this to our lives? To be obedient to God is not just about avoiding certain behaviors. You can come through your whole list of everything you want to stop doing, everything you're struggling with, and I want to tell you the will of God for your life is not simply that you would stop doing that and that you'd be a static person on the couch avoiding temptation, okay? The will of God is that you would actively love the people around you. This is the Christian life. So I can't think of any other way to illustrate what that looks like other than to tell you how I've been loved. And, and maybe through that, you can kind of think about how do I walk this out? So you guys know Joe Dotson. He's uh, been your announcement guy for a while, I bet. Um, and he's been a lot more than that in some of your lives. Uh, I met Joe, man, coming up on 10 years almost. It's not that long, but it's pretty close. We met here in school, and uh, Joe was a significant, he is a significant, but he was especially a significant person in my life near the end of school. Um, I was going through a unique time where there was just really, really difficult relationship stuff going on. And on top of that, I was working a lot. I was interning here. I just had a lot going on. And my negative reaction to all that was to kind of pull away and study all the time, go to bed late, wake up early, and I was just kind of secluded, okay? It wasn't healthy. And Joe saw that, and Joe said, hey, man, when, when are we going to do dinner together? And I would make excuses and say, oh, dude, I'm too busy. And so Joe caught on, and he said, hey, bro, we're doing dinner tomorrow. And he just started doing that regularly. I was like, okay, all right. And so we would go to dinner, and Joe would sit down. And he'd say, what's going on in your life? How you doing, man? And he would not only ask that question and then just kind of tune out and sit on his phone, but he would actually sit there and make eye contact with me. He would listen to me. He would ask more questions, and then he would pray for me. That's what I needed in that time. I needed to be reminded that relationships are a necessity and that people care about me. That was love. And I'll never forget one night, um, I was sitting in what used to be the greenhouse, but is now the White House, which is super confusing for me. Um, I was sitting there and I had just received something that was really difficult from a relationship and um, I was every mixture of angry and uh, distraught and upset and sad and just about to fall to pieces. And so I called Joe, this is late at night, and I told him, bro, I'm about to lose it. And that's rare for me. <laughs> I'm about to lose it. 
um, I need to talk to you. And Joe said, instead of just sitting on the phone and talking with me, Joe said, I'll be there. And he hung up the phone and he got in his truck and he came over to the White House and he sat with me. He said, what's going on? And I told him, and Joe didn't try to fix my problems. Joe didn't try to pat me on the back and say, hey, bro, it's all in God's hands. You're okay. Joe looked at me and said, I'm going to pray for you. And as he bowed his head, I just stared at the floor in front of him. And as he began to pray, I began to feel myself soften a bit. And then I saw a drop hit the floor. And he continued to pray, and I saw another drop hit the floor. And I looked up, and Joe, a tear in his eyes, and he was praying for me. I, I've never experienced that before. Nobody's loved me like that before. Love persistently pursues others. Love is steadfast, it's committed. Love is interested in the other person. Love weeps with those who weep. It rejoices with those who rejoice. This is love. And I can't talk about love without talking about my wife. Uh, we're coming up on five years in August, which is crazy. Um, super excited. You can clap. That's great. Yeah. Um, it's been an awesome time. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't tell you um, how mind-blowing it is to experience love that is without a barrier. I've never had somebody see as much of my junk on a daily basis and still not only be committed to me, but like me, right? Um, there have been many, many days where I have been just unfair towards Amy or I have sinned. And to come to my wife and say, I'm sorry that I did this to you. Or look, I've made a mistake. I've sinned, and I need to confess that to you. And to have her say, I forgive you. I love you. And then to go into the kitchen and make dinner together, and there was full acceptance again. That is unreal. That is unreal. It is real, I mean, but it's something that I, I, I hadn't quite comprehended until that point. And whenever I come home and I feel worn down and burdened and distracted and fearful and anxious, Amy, like the Lord placed Amy in my life as this ray of sunshine who is steadfast, who is positive, who is encouraging. This is love. So just to give you a picture, a couple pictures, this is what love is. It's active. The Lord has not merely called you to avoid certain things, to be a person absolutely avoiding temptation. The Lord has called you to be a person who is actively loving those around you, both in the faith and outside the faith. But the Lord also gives us a, a motivation, a powerful motivation for living lives of love. Because whenever I describe those two things, when I painted those two images, if we're honest, like that is a high call to live a full life characterized by that kind of love. That's a high call. And so we need a powerful motivation for living lives of consistent love towards others. And we're going to see in verses 11 through 14 that this motivation is the day of the Lord that is dawning even now. 
So the dawning day of the Lord is what motivates the Christian life of love. Let's go ahead and take a look at verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. If your translation says that, it's really almost over. The night is almost over and the day is on the doorstep. It's here. It's so close. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and instead put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So this imagery that Paul is using, this night and day imagery might feel a little bit unfamiliar. Let me just kind of explain what's going on here. Paul is using night in a broad theological sense. He's saying this current age, everything between the crucifixion and resurrection and the return of Jesus, this current age is a time of darkness still. Broadly, generally speaking, this is still dark. And we, we don't have to look far to see that. If you watch the news, if you interact with others around you, you still see that there is demonic influences around us. There are lies that are preached and believed. There is warfare, there is strife, there is conflict. This is a dark time. And so Paul, Jesus, other biblical authors say this is the night. But they also know that there's coming a day whenever it will no longer be dark, where it will no longer be light. And that's the day. Specifically, it's the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is a concept that comes from the Old Testament prophets. They often talked about at the end of human history, Yahweh, God, is going to intervene decisively and with finality, and he's going to do two things. And both of these things are good. He's going to do two things in this final day. One, he's going to judge all evil, wickedness, oppression, sin. All of that is going to be justly judged. And then the other thing he's going to do is move in deliverance. So those who are oppressed, those who are downtrodden, those who are poor, those who have placed their hope in him and trust in him, even though the world gives them nothing, he will deliver them. So this day of the Lord is going to be about judgment and it's going to be about deliverance. And this is going to be the end to nighttime. Okay. Take a look at verse 12. Paul says, this night is almost over. It's far gone is what it says. He, he's saying it's almost over. We're on the cusp of day breaking. And really, in Paul's theology, the day has sort of broken in bits and pieces in each one of us who have placed faith in Jesus. So whenever Jesus was crucified and he was buried and he was raised from the dead, a new reality became true in his people. We who have placed faith in Christ have actually been spiritually raised with him. We've been given a new path, a new story. We've been filled with the spirit and we are walking in a new way. Which is why he calls us, 13, to walk properly as in the daytime. We are to be daytime people. This day of the Lord has already dawned in our hearts. There's a new reality that we live in, 
And even though this is still dark around us, even though we live in this age where it's the night, day has broken in our hearts, and we look forward to that future day when it will be made full, whenever Christ will return, whenever he will judge evil, and whenever he will establish his kingdom and deliver his people. So this is a, a sobering thing, and it's a joyful thing when we talk about the day of the Lord. Because on the one hand, there's the recognition that whenever God comes in to judge, that all humanity will stand accountable before him. And there are two ways that you can stand before the Lord at that day of judgment. On your own, on the basis of who you are, what you've done, who you've been, or you can stand under the covering and the gracious protection of Jesus Christ. You can stand on your own and say, this is what I got. Absolutely nothing. Or you can stand behind the outstretched arms of Christ who says he's mine. She's mine. Is this a sobering thing? We think about every one of us and all the people around us will face that day. But there's also an encouraging aspect to it. Because we know that for Christians, this day of the Lord means that God will move finally to redeem and restore all things. So, we're all young, but there will come a day whenever you get sick more than you thought you would. There will come a day whenever your bodies start to wear down. There will come a day whenever you are tired of how this life is. You look around and you see the sin that's rampant in our society, when you see the warfare that tears our world apart. There's coming a time, if you don't feel that right now, there's coming a time whenever that will weigh heavy on you. And it's a good thing to look forward to the redemption of creation and being face-to-face -face with God. And so let's step back and let's say, what does this mean for us? The day of the Lord is coming. He's going to come in judgment, and he's going to come in deliverance. So what does this mean for our daily lives? The coming day of the Lord motivates us in our love. And I just want to talk about the sobering aspect of it. So... I want you to think about tomorrow morning. You wake up, and most of you are going to go to class. Some of you are going to go to work. The people around you in those classes, your peers, the people who are older than you at your work, these people are all people, creatures with everlasting souls. God made them, and they stand accountable before him. And so whenever we talk about living a life of love, we're not talking about a lackadaisical, like, Hey, man, we're great. You're good. We're talking about a purposeful love. A love that demonstrates the character of Jesus, that does good to those who don't deserve it. And a love that clearly shares the gospel so that others would come to find that protection in Christ on that final day. This is a love that is purposeful and it's urgent. We know that we don't have all the time in the world and we know that there's coming a time whenever that person can no longer make a different decision. And so it's a purposeful, urgent love in light of that coming day. But it's also a love that has enough fuel to keep on going for this whole life that we live. Whenever we get tired, whenever we get worn down, whenever we get distracted, whenever we struggle in faith, this is a love that can be sustained because of the hope that we have. So I don't know, many of you probably don't think of this often, but in the day of, 
that the Lord will come back and he will set up his kingdom, you will be resurrected in a new body and you will stand face to face with your king and his eyes will not have condemnation. His eyes will not have disappointment in them. His eyes will have warmth and kindness and welcoming towards you. And he will be delighted to invite you into the kingdom. Creation itself will buzz with life because God will dwell with man. If that's not a hope that can sustain, I don't know what is. Loving is hard. It's difficult. It will sap you. But as Christians, you have hope that there's coming a day when all will be made new, when there will be no more suffering, when you will be tempted to sin no more, and there will be no more strife and division and conflict. That is a hope that sustains your love. So just like I can't sufficiently describe Amy by saying the things that she's not, by telling you she doesn't like this, she doesn't do this, so you can't define the Christian life by saying, we don't do these things. It is weak and it's anemic and it misses the heart of Christian life. God has called you to love your brothers and sisters right around you and he's called you to love those who are outside the church. And he's given you a powerful motivation for living a life of consistent love, the coming day of the Lord. That makes our life, our love purposeful and urgent because we know that judgment is coming. But it also makes our lives, our love sustainable because we know that there's a good goal. We know that there's a good reward. And if we just fix our eyes on that end goal, we can keep on going. This is the Christian life, simply put. Love others because the Lord's coming back.